Hey, Mount Pleasant family, how you doing? Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of worship. I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online, wherever you might be. Thanks for being a part of our service. Grab a Bible if you brought one and go to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, find chapter 7, and just hold that ready for a few minutes because uh, before we turn our attention to the message, there are just a handful of things that I need to talk to you about. I'm sorry about that, but this is the best venue to do that, and I'll try to make it quick. First of all, I want to talk to you about Afghani refugees. I'm sure many, if not all of us, have been deeply troubled by the ongoing crisis in Afghanistan. We've watched the news reports and all that's been happening there. And we've seen that as a result of evacuation efforts, thousands and thousands of families have been displaced and have, don't even have access to basic human needs. Well, a lot of those families, I, I can't tell you the number exactly, but a lot of those families are not far from here in Camp Atterbury. And uh, because our vision as a church is to be a church that's locally focused and globally engaged with an undeniable impact for Christ, then our heart goes out to them and we want to be involved in serving. And so we have a unique opportunity to do that. First of all, we can do it financially. We are sending some money uh, to help in, through three different so sources. Uh, the first of all, locally through the Red Cross uh, second, through uh, one of our global ministry partners, TCM, which stands for Training Christians in Ministry. Uh, this is an interesting uh, opportunity for them because they're seeing an increase in Afghani refugees, and they're going all over the world. They're seeing an increase in the country of Moldova. And Moldova is a gateway for TCM to the Middle East. And so there's a lot of need there for food, for medicines, for clothing, for lodging, etc. And then I talked on the phone this last week for about 30 minutes with our dear friend, and brother Dr. Ajay Law in India, and several uh, Afghani refugee families have uh, been sent to New Delhi. And uh, we're sending a little bit of money there to meet some immediate needs. But here's the cool thing about uh, the refugees that are going to uh, New Delhi. We have five Afghani churches in New Delhi through Central India Christian Mission. Several years ago, because of your generosity, we pretty much fully funded the building of the New Delhi Center, which is a hostel. It's a part of the Biblical Academy, and it, and it uh, is a home for different churches in the New Delhi area. And uh, uh, we have five Afghani churches, several of them are located there, and we've been able to really uh, reach out to them. And so, because uh, this is just such a generous church, uh, I wanted to share with you that you could, if you feel led, you could participate financially in helping support uh, these different efforts as well. All you have to do if you want to write a check is to, uh, is to put Afghan refugee assistance on your offering envelope or your check. There are giving boxes on the exits. That's funny. There have been giving boxes for over a year, and every week somebody asks me, uh, Pastor, where are those giving boxes? Well, I understand why in part because they're not very big, and they're about the same color as the wall, which I don't know, that may not have been a, may not have been a great idea. I'm not the one who decided that. But they're right there next to the doors, okay? They're just only about this big on the wall. It looks like a little mail, a mail, little mailbox, and you can just slip your check in there, and you can just write on your check, uh, Afghan Refugee Assistance, or grab one of the offering envelopes, and you can do that. You can also give online, and you can designate your giving that way. Uh, we also have been given a great opportunity. Uh, some of our staff are, are serving as volunteers down at Cap Atterbury, serving the refugees at the distribution center. And then... Uh, 
if you want to pick up one of these uh, flyers, they're outside the doors of the worship center, and you can see different ways that you can donate items, and you can bring those to the church and donate them. In the commons area, there's an uh, area there that is designated for that, and so just encourage you to be involved in that. Second thing I want to talk to you about real quickly, and we heard a great announcement about it on MPTV, is Financial Peace University and Legacy Journey. It's that time of year when we offer those great classes that literally have the ability to change your financial life to change your family's financial life for generations. And at every, yet every year I have to come up and I just say, please, please, I almost feel like I'm pleading and begging with you to sign up and be a part of those. So let me just say this. If you know, if you know right now in your heart that you're struggling, that your finances are out of control, and that you have more fear than you have contentment in your life related to finances, then, then get past your pride, get past your fear, or whatever it might be that stands in the way, and sign up for one of these classes. Financial Peace University can help you, can help you make progress in your financial life from day one. It can make an impact from day one. The legacy journey is really there for those who have made the progress to get their finances in order, and now they have an opportunity to, to leave a, a, a legacy blessing as a result of that. So sign up for those. You can learn more information on the events page of our website, as Christy just said, in MPTV. But also, just outside these doors, after the service, before every service, Don Bandoska, who leads our financial freedom ministry, is going to be right across from the guest connection room. Stop by there and talk to him. Stop by there and just ask him questions. Stop by there and just... Uh, get more information. He would love more than anything to talk to you. Third and final. I promise this is the last one. Listen, folks, there, are just so many people in our church who are sick and hurting right now. And if I'm going to be absolutely honest with you, I will tell you, in all my years of ministry, it is, there are so many that it feels overwhelming to me. It feels overwhelming to me. And we need to pray for our church family. We need to pray for those who are hurting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes about the body of Christ as believers, as Christians. We're all a part of, we're all members of the body of Christ. And in verse 26, he says something very, very poignant about that. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers. Now, you may not even know or have a clue if I mentioned names or you saw names on a paper or who those people were, that doesn't matter because they're a part of your life. We're a part of each other's lives by being a part of the body of Christ in this church. And so I'm just, I'm just asking you, please, to find time in your life to pray. You can say, Lord, I don't know who these people are, but they're my brother and my sister in Christ. I don't know what the specific needs are, but you do. That's all that matters. And just pray. Would you just make a commitment to pray? For the next several days, we've got a lot of people hurting, a lot of deep, deep needs, and we need to pray. With that being said, let's bow and let's pray together real quickly, and then we'll turn our attention to the Scriptures. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here and to worship you. We thank you for the opportunity to be a church that is uh, committed to making an impact on the lives of people all around the world. And we thank you for a church that is focused on trying to help people in the practical area of life even in areas as practical as how you manage money. But Lord, I, I want to bow with my church family now, and I want to pray for those in our church who are hurting, who are sick, who have lost loved ones, who are fearful. I mean, everything that's happened in our world for the last almost two years now is just overwhelming at times. 
and it seems to be unending in so many different ways. But we know that you're God, you're on the throne, and you're in control, and you're sovereign. And so we come to you as your children in love and in faith, asking you to pour your grace in the lives of people who are hurting here in our church family. And we ask that together in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said? Amen. 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 All right. Well, this is uh, the third week of a special message series called Family Matters. Uh, And we're talking about different areas of family life. We began a couple of weeks ago by talking about God's design uh, for marriage. Last week, we talked about the intimate marriage. And uh, we're going to shift gears this weekend. And I'm going to talk about something I've never talked about before. I'm going to preach a message called the single life. And just in case you're here and you're married and you think, oh, brother, why did I choose this weekend to come to church? I could have stayed home and watched football or done something different. Let me just say two things to you. First of all, I want you to think about how all of our single folks feel every time we talk about marriage, okay? Okay? And we've we've done that the last couple of weeks. And so I want you just to suck it up and get rid of that bad attitude (laughs) if that's what you got. The second thing I want to tell you is this. If you believe in the truth of God's word, and if you do say amen, Amen. then you believe in these words from Isaiah. They say this, the rain and snow come down from the heaven and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed from the farmer, or excuse me, for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same way with my word. I send it out, and as always, it produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. If you believe in the truth of God's word, you've got to believe those words are true, which means anytime the word of God is shared, it can have a purpose in your life, even if you don't think it does. Somebody say amen to that. I want you to understand that I mean that from my heart. God's word never, ever returns void. Now, I'm going to be completely honest and transparent and tell you that this is writing this message, preparing this message has been a lot more difficult than I thought that it would be. First of all, it was difficult because as I wrote it, I couldn't help but think this one thing. There could be somebody here who would say, listen, and I, I, this is completely valid. If, if this is the way you would feel, I totally understand. You could look at me and say, listen, what do you know about being single? That's completely valid. I graduated from college in May of 1980. I dated a girl my entire last year of college, but never, ever for a second thought about marrying her. How bad was that? The last year of college. And so when I got out of college, that relationship ended. I moved back to Houston, Texas, and I began full-time vocational ministry as a youth pastor in a local church. Now, I met Sandy. I met my wife, Sandy, a couple of years earlier when I was a college student and she was a senior in high school. Now that I had graduated from college and moved back to Houston, she was in college, and I will thank God every day for the rest of my life that he allowed us the opportunity to reconnect and ultimately get married in 1982. So I really never spent hardly any time in my life as someone who was single. And so I understand. You could say, what do you know about being single? The second reason why I think this was really difficult, because there are so many different categories. There are, categories, there are multiple categories of single people. There are people who have never been married before. That's obvious. But there are also people who were once married and now are single again through divorce. Or they were married and they're single again because they're a widow or a widower. Add to that the fact that singles come in all different seasons of life from young to old, and it's kind of difficult to write a message that's supposed to last for about 35 minutes about the single life. 
But here's how I would respond to myself and both of those things that I just said. First of all, if someone said to me, what do you know about being single? Then I would say to you, well, I'm not going to speak to you this weekend out of the context of my life and my experience. I'm going to speak to you out of the context of the Bible, God's Word. There are a lot of things in life that I don't know anything about, but I know what the Bible says about them, a lot of things. And the truth of the Bible, listen to me, transcends our personal experience. I'm not going to talk to you out of the context of my life. I'm going to talk to you out of the context of my Bible. Here's how I would answer that second question. How are you going to preach a message on single life when there are so many different categories of being single? I'll just say this. Regardless of what category of being single you might fall in, God has a will for your life that you need to understand and obey. He has a will for all of us. We, all, we need to understand about all of us. God has a will for our life that we need to understand and obey, whether we're single or married or whatever. And so having said that, and especially about this truth about understanding God's will for our life, because we always make the public reading of Scripture a part of our service, and because I'm going to use a variety of different passages in this message, I'm just going to do what I did last week. I'm going to put a single verse of Scripture up on the screen. And so if you're able, go ahead and stand together with me for the public reading of the Scripture, and we're going to read it together. And by the way, by the way, I'm preaching from the New Living Translation this weekend, okay? Don't give me any grief or send me any emails about it. Here we go. Let me hear your voices. This is Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Here we go. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and on the hearing of his word. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share with you four things that I think are really true uh, for people who are single, four things to understand, but I'm also going to tell you the truth that the Bible talks specifically to the reality of being single. But before I do that, let me share that I was, uh, when I was studying for the message, I ran across uh, an old, old article in a magazine, Ladies Home Journal. This is a magazine that began to be published all the way back in 1883, and the reason why I'm sharing this is because to tell you that the reality and the challenges of being single have been around forever, every generation, okay? Every generation struggles in different ways with uh, the reality of this or has questions about the reality of this. And so back in 1883, they got together a group of single people and asked them to write poems expressing their feelings about being single. Let me read you two. First, a poem from a man. Bear in mind, this was written a long time ago. Of all the girls that ever I knew, I never saw one I thought would do. Hmm. I wanted a wife that was nice and neat, that was up to date, and had small feet. Now, let me pause there and tell you, my wife has five, size five feet, okay? And that's not something to wish for if you're looking for a wife. I made the mistake of going shoe shopping with her once. <laughs> once. And we've been married almost 40 years. Okay, and had small feet. I wanted a wife that was loving and kind and that hadn't too much of an independent mind. I wanted a wife that could cook and sew and wasn't eternally on the go. I wanted a wife that was strikingly beautiful, intelligent, rich, and exceedingly dutiful. And then this guy has the nerve to say, that isn't so much to demand in a wife. But she's still not found, though I've looked all my life. All right. I think that's a man with terrible lack of self-awareness right there. And that's not going to fly in the 21st century, that approach. Here's one from a woman. 
And the only reason I never wed is as clear as the day and as easily said. Two lovers I had who'd have made me a bride, but the trouble was just that I couldn't decide. Whenever John came, I was sure it was he that I cared for the most, but with Charlie by me, my hand clasped in his and his eyes fixed on mine, t'was as easy as could be to say, I'll be thine. Now tell me, what was a poor maiden to do who couldn't, to save her, make choice between these two? I dillied and dallied and couldn't decide until Johnny got married and Charlie, he died. And that is the reason why I've never wed, for how could I help it, as everyone said, when, Charlie was, when Johnny was married and poor Charlie was dead. Single life has always been a challenge. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the truth that the Bible does speak to the reality of the single life. I've got my Bible open uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I hope you've got your Bible open there. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some specific passages of Scripture because I believe in this chapter Paul tells us Two biblical truths related to being single, okay? Two biblical truths related to being single. If you'd like to take notes, you can write this first one down somewhere. And it might sound simple, but I think this is really important to point out. The first truth that he tells us is that both marriage and singleness are good and right before God. Both marriage and singleness are good and right before God. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. You follow along. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter. So obviously the church in Corinth had sent Paul a letter with some questions, and now he's getting to uh, the meat of those questions. He says, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual need, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual need. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. Now, listen to this. Paul says, but... I wish everyone were single, just as I am. He says, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It is better to marry than to burn with lust. Now, let's be honest. That's a pretty unusual passage of Scripture, isn't it? That's not one that gets talked about a lot. But while it has a lot of really important instruction, I'm just going to use it to make this one point that I already shared with you before I even began to read. Both, clearly, based on what Paul writes there, both marriage and singleness are good and right before God. Both. One of the realities of being single, and listen to me real close before I say anything else. Listen to me close. I've been told this by people who are single, so I'm not creating this language. I'm not making this point out of my own mind or imagination. I'm simply repeating what I've been told. One of the realities of being single is that you can sometimes feel, you can sometimes be made to feel like there's something wrong with you. And this is something that can happen in every setting of life. And friends, it's even something that can happen in church. And so I want to go on record this weekend and say 
I'm sorry. If you're single, I'm sorry if that's ever happened to you here. Someone made you feel that way. I'm sorry if I ever said anything or did anything unknowingly that made you feel that way. The truth is, and I'm a little bit hesitant to say this because I don't want this to be misunderstood, but the truth is I have always felt a burden of sorts for people who were single. Not, not everybody, but for specific people who were single. And let me try to explain what I mean by that. I've always felt a burden for people who wanted to be married and weren't. Who wanted to be married and for whatever reason weren't. And I've talked to some of you about that. I've had personal conversations with folks in our church about that. Not just single people, but I have talked to many of you who are parents who are about my age and you have children who are young adults who are single. And you've heard the burden of your son or your daughter and the desire to be married, to meet someone and to be married, and it breaks your heart. And I have prayed for many of you. I have prayed for many of you who are single. I have prayed uh, for many of you who have single children. A lot of young men and young women who've grown up in this church uh, and have moved away and live other places, but mom and dad carry around that burden. Listen, I've prayed for you. I I feel that burden. I, I feel a burden for people who were married and who are now single again because of divorce. And I feel that burden, and we've talked about marriage over the years a lot, and we talked about it the last couple of weeks. I feel that burden because I really believe that I know everything that God intended marriage to be, and I am so sad for people who did not have or who are not having that experience and who find themselves single again because they didn't have that fulfilling, satisfying experience that God intended for marriage. And I definitely have a burden for people who are widows or widowers who lost their loved one at different stages of life. Because I'll be honest with you and tell you, I can't even imagine the emotional pain that comes with losing a spouse. I can't even imagine that. And so I feel that burden. I feel that burden for you. But what we need to understand is as far as God is concerned when it comes to the will of God from the word of God, as far as he's concerned, both marriage and singleness are good and right. One is not better than the other. Clearly, that's the point Paul is making, or one of the points Paul makes as he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me give you a second truth about singleness that we find from the Bible, not something I've created, something from the Bible. Sometimes being single is the best thing for you. Sometimes being single is the best thing for you. Let's turn our attention back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this time we're going to read verses 25 through 28, and then we're going to skip down. We're going to read verses 32 through 35. You follow along. Paul continues. He said, now regarding your question, note this. Now regarding your question, remember they wrote him a letter with questions. Now regarding your question about the young women who are not married, okay? Now regarding your question about single women, young single women. He says, says, (coughs) excuse me, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted and I will share it with you. Stop right there for just a second. This does not mean that this part of 1 Corinthians is not inspired by God. All Paul is saying is that I don't have some special revelation from God about this, but, but, 
God in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted. The Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is literally God breathed. And so this isn't just Paul's opinion. This is an inspired word from the apostle Paul. So he says uh, about the uh, question about young women who are not married. He said, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted. And I will share it with you. And note this, he says, because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. Or in other words, it's best to remain single. And then he goes on to say, if you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, note what he says, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I am trying to spare you these problems. Now skip down to verse 32. He goes on and he's talking about single life. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has been married, or excuse me, has never been married, can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. All right, for the second time, I'm going to stop there, even though Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He continues to make this point all the way through the end of the chapter. What he's doing in these verses is first, I think we can say that he is reiterating that first point that I just shared with you, that both marriage and singleness are good and right before God. But then he makes the second point from the scripture. Sometimes being single is, it can be, the best thing for you. And we need to understand that in the context of this passage. The reason why I say that is because, first of all, in 1 Corinthians 7, 26, he says, because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are, as he's talking about young, unmarried women. Well, what's he talking about there? What crisis? Most Bible scholars believe that Paul was re referring to the reality of persecution and the truth that persecution was just going to continue to get stronger and stronger and stronger for believers, which historically is exactly what happened. And I think his point is simple. While persecution is difficult enough for one person to handle, that difficulty is multiplied when you have a spouse or if you bring children into the relationship. And so Paul is basically saying sometimes being single is the best thing for you because it can protect you. It can protect you from even more difficulty and emotional pain. And then the second reason why... I, I believe he's teaching us that sometimes being single can be the best thing for you is because later, if you look back at 1 Corinthians 7, 32, he says this, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. So Paul, here's what's happening here. Paul, who was so dedicated to Christ, so dedicated to the ministry, is basically saying in this verse and other verses that we read, that if you can stay single and control your body, in other words, if you can control your sexual desires, which according to God's will are to only be satisfied in the relationship of marriage, but if you can do that, it's best for you to remain single so that you can devote yourself fully to the Lord without any distractions. And so, you put those two things together. Sometimes it's better to be single 
because it can protect you. Sometimes it's better to be single because you can, more fully, you can be more fully devoted to serving the Lord. I really believe that's what he's teaching. Now, you know me. I'm, I really believe in the importance of studying the scriptures in context. I have this little yellow note, post-it note next to my computer on my desk that has several things that I look at every week as I get ready to write a message or a Bible study. And one of the things I've got written on there is this. The text of Scripture can never mean to us what it didn't mean to the uh, original reader. The text of Scripture can never mean to us what it didn't mean to the original reader. You can take the Bible and make it mean whatever you want it to mean, even though some people do that. But there can also, as I've told you, you can understand the passage in the context, but you can also understand the underlying principles there and can have different spirit-led applications. And I think that is what happening is here. That's what's happening here. And the underlying principle is that sometimes Paul is saying being single really can be best for you. And he gave us those two reasons why. Because it can protect you. And number two, because it can make you able to serve the Lord in a greater way. Do I think there are even more reasons why sometimes it can be best to be single? I do. I do. But those are the two that Paul gives us right here. And let me just add this one thing. I think that these two things, understanding these two things, that both marriage and singleness is right before God, and number two, that sometimes it's best to be single, I think those two things have the primary meaning for people who are single because they've never been married. I do. Now, beyond that, I just want to share with you quickly, and I promise it'll be quickly, four things that I believe every single person needs to understand from the perspective of the scriptures. Four different things. And this, what I'm going to share with you, was, uh, was created in my mind primarily from an article that I read uh, from churchleaders.com. I don't want to make it sound like this is all original with me. That was the basis for putting together these four things. But if you're single... Regardless of what season of life you might be in, regardless of why you're single, you never married, or you're single again, or you've lost your spouse, here are four things that I would say are great counsel from the Scriptures, great counsel from God's Word for you. Here's the first one. Make connecting with God your first priority. Make connecting with God your first priority. And the truth is, that should be the reality of all of our lives, regardless of our marriage status. But I think this is, I think you can make the point that this can sometimes be extra important for people who are single because our identity and our worth and the vision for our lives needs to come first and foremost from God. And yet sometimes, let's be honest, we get our identity and we get our self-worth and we get our vision for our life from other things. And sometimes it can be from relationships. We just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's instruction that if you can remain single, then do it so you can give attention to the Lord with as few distractions as possible. But the bottom line is this, we need to pursue God. We need to make our relationship with God the very first priority of our lives. And we need to trust in the words of Jesus when he said in Matthew chapter 6, as a part of the Sermon on the Mount, these familiar words from verse 33, he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Remember, that's the New Living Translation, so it might sound a little different. My NIV Bible would say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. What are the other things? 
Can the other things involve relationships? Yeah, maybe. But a first priority in every part of life is seeking God first, seeking the kingdom of God first. And so all of us have to ask ourselves a question. Do I believe those words are true? And if I believe those words are true, then I'm going to trust God. I'm going to pursue God and trust God even in the moments when I feel like something may be missing from my life. Our first priority is connecting with God. Here's the second thing. Pursue and embrace deep relationships, deep friendships. Pursue and embrace deep friendships, relationships. Because being single doesn't have to mean being alone. I mentioned earlier that when you become a Christian, you become a part of the body of Christ. And what that means is you become a part of the body of Christ in the local fellowship, the local church that you're a part of, but you also become the body of Christ with every other believer around the world, around the world. We have brothers and sisters who are a part, who are, are part of the body of Christ along with us in India and in China and in different parts of Europe and Russia and Africa and on and on and on. And when you're a part of the body of Christ, you are told and you're taught in the scriptures to both encourage other believers and allow yourself the opportunity to be encouraged by other believers. Look at these words on the screen from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. Paul writes and says, well, just read it with me. Let me hear your voices. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. That's what we're called to do. That word encourage there is a great word in the original language of the New Testament. It's the Greek word parakaleo, parakaleo. And literally translated, it means to call alongside. That's what it means. It can also mean counsel and comfort. And it can mean to exhort. Which are all things that happen in relationships when you come alongside someone. When you're single... Especially in a later season of life, for example, your, perhaps your spouse has died. Let me tell you this, and I'm not making this up either. This is, this is based on what, what single people who have lost a spouse have literally told me before multiple times. You can feel like when, you, when your spouse dies that you have lost your purpose in life. I told you, I have a burden for single people. How heartbreaking are those words when somebody who's been a faithful believer their whole life has suffered the loss of their spouse, and now they are alone for the first time. I mean, they can't even remember what life was like being single before they were married. And they'll look at me and they say, I feel like I've lost my purpose in life. That's just the reality of how some people feel. But here's what I would say. That is not the case. That is never the case for you. I'm not minimizing your feelings or the emotion or the loss. But from a practical, pragmatic standpoint, spiritually speaking, that is never the case for you. Because God always has a purpose for your life. You know, I was thinking when I was writing this, and this might sound really silly, but one of the most practical things that you might do if you're when you're single, especially if you're single and you've lost your spouse and you're in a later season of life and you don't know what to do with your life, one of the things you could do is you could go in your New Testament you could study all of the one another passages of the New Testament. Love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, uh, 
on and on and on. You can study all those passages, and you can pick out a handful, and you can say, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dedicate myself to living these out as many ways as possible. I'm going to find people that I can encourage. I'm going to find people that I can pray for. I'm going to find people that I can love. I can tell them I love them. I can find people who have been caught in sins, who have made mistakes, and I can uh, 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 build them up. I can encourage them. I can comfort them. I even thought about this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse 12. It says, greet one another with a sacred or a holy kiss. Maybe that's the way to find the next spouse. Who knows? <laughs> don't be doing that kissing at church, though, because I don't want to have to deal with the problem related to that. What I'm saying is you fill your life up by being intentional about blessing other people, pursue and embrace deep friendships and relationships. Here's the third thing I've got written down. This is so important. Commit yourself to sexual purity. Commit yourself to sexual purity. I'm not going to go into detail on this or belabor this point because we talked about this uh, last week. It was part of the and it was a part of that scripture that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 a little bit earlier. But this is something that needs to be said in a clear and an unequivocal way. So I want you to listen to me. I don't care what season of life you're in. Sexual purity is God's will for everyone. Everyone. Whatever the age. You know, oftentimes we think about this being a, an issue for younger people. But it is not just an issue for younger people. I'm telling you this, friends, from a fact. For, for a fact. I'm telling you this from knowledge. It is not just an issue for younger people. You know, several years ago, we had a family in our church, and they, don't, they moved away, but they had a home in the villages. You know what I'm talking about? The villages, Florida, okay? And it was a beautiful home with a beautiful swimming pool in the backyard. And they said, Pastor, if you want to take your family on summer vacation, we're never there in the summer, and you, you, there's a lot of things you can do. You love to play golf. There's lots of golf courses. So what did? The whole family went. We didn't, have, we didn't have the boys. We just had Grace, and she was just a little baby. The whole family went. But before we went, I didn't know about the villages, so I'm online. I'm Googling the villages. You know what I saw? It said the villages is one of the highest populations in the country for sexually transmitted diseases. Bunch of retired people. Seriously, this is not just an issue for young people. It is the will of God for all of us to embrace sexual purity for all of us. Look at this verse on the screen from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. This is so clear. I, tried to, I just tried to find the clearest verse that I could find because I don't want to talk about this for a long time. Paul says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. The word sexual sin there in our English Bible has come from a single word in the Greek language. It's the Greek word porneia, porneia. We get the English word pornography from that word, the Greek word porneia. The original meaning of that word was to prostitute or to sell. But by the time the New Testament had been written, the meaning or the definition, the translation of the word porneia had expanded to refer, listen to me close, to any kind of sexual behavior that takes place outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman, any kind, any kind, anything you can think of, anything that comes to your mind, sexual sin, anything that happens outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. And God's will, Paul says it's God's will that we stay away from sexual sin. Look at this verse on the screen from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, or chapter 6, verse 8 rather. Paul says, run from sexual sin. And then he says this 
powerful thing. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality, that's that word porneia again, is a sin against your own body. What in the world does that mean, friends? Can I give you the most simple definition possible? Write this down someone, somewhere. When Paul says that sexual sin is different from all other sins because it's a sin against your body, this is what he's saying. Sexual sin is self-destructive. That's what he's saying. That's all we need to understand. It's self-destructive. Pastor Tony Evans describes it like this. It's like a fire. A fire in the fireplace can do you a lot of good. A fire in the living room will mess up your whole house And that's precisely the case with our sexuality. It is a fire to be kindled within the fireplace of marriage. Outside of that safe enclosure, it can do all kinds of emotional and physical damage. And listen, friends, I can tell you, I've spent over 40 years of my life listening to and ministering to people who have and oftentimes who continue to experience that damage in their life from sexual sin. This is so very serious. That's why every time I talk to you about this, I tell you, if you're a parent and you have children at home, you suck it up and you teach them what the Bible says about this. And you teach them that God's ways are not just right. They are always better. They are always better. Remember, I told you last week, whatever God creates, and he created sexual intimacy, whatever God creates, Satan perverts. The devil perverts. And this is one of the most fruitful grounds for the devil when it comes to his perversion. All of us, regardless of our marriage status, need to be committed to sexual purity, period. Here's the fourth and final one. It's a fourth and final word I would say to singles. Live your life with passion and purpose. Live your life with passion and purpose. Being single should in no way limit your life. And so my question, I guess my question to anybody who is single would be this. I would ask you this. What do you love? What moves you? What motivates you? Then don't waste another minute not pursuing those things. Don't waste another minute not experiencing those things. Whether it's some kind of a hobby or it's traveling or it's learning or something else, pursue it with passion and never ever stop believing for a second that God created you with purpose and never ever stop believing for a second that God has a plan for your life that includes you being fulfilled and satisfied. Don't ever stop believing that. Serve God by serving people. Let your life be used to make an impact on the world through the ministry of the local church or some parachurch ministry that you get involved in or some mission ministry that you get involved in. I love these words from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Look at them on the screen. Read them with me. Let me hear your voices. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for these days, or the, in, I'm sorry, in these evil days. A little bit of my NIV Bible crept in there when I was using the New Living Translation. I'm creating my own version tonight. Sorry about that. So true. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Days. Don't waste another minute not pursuing your life with passion and purpose. I love it when Paul writes in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, we'll close and Brian and the team can come. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content. This is one of the things the Bible teaches all of us, that we need to be content. 
says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing and, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything. Everyone say everything. Everything. Everything through Christ who gives me strength. Don't make the mistake of thinking that being single equals rejection or failure or any other life from the devil. Don't make the mistake of thinking being single again through divorce or the loss of your spouse means you've lost your purpose for your life. Because all of us, we need to find our identity in the world first and foremost in Christ. And Paul says about Christ, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Lord, thank you for this time. I've gone a little bit long tonight. I thank you for this time. And I hope this message is a word of encouragement to everyone, everyone, because your word never returns void, but also to anyone who is single. And I, I, know, I know a lot of people who are single, and they, are, they don't struggle. They don't have doubts. They're living their life in, in fullness with purpose. But I also know some who aren't. And I pray that my words, that are your words, would give a, a word of encouragement to every heart where there's a need. Thank you for loving us the way you do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together and let's sing one final song before we're dismissed.